Hey, y'all. It's Ryan Williams here. Welcome back to the Rhino Lab. It's all about reaching your next opportunity on this podcast. So thrilled. My guest this week, it's long overdue. I've never had her on the show before, is Dory Clark. She is the best-selling author of Reinventing You as well as Stand Out. And both of those books are number one leadership books of the past couple years, as noted by Inc. Magazine. And she's a former uh, campaign spokeswoman and writes for the Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and she's all over the internet navigating the new economy with us today. Thank you, Dory Clark. Welcome. Thank you, Ryan. It's awesome to talk with you finally after uh, after spending a long time corresponding before we were able to make this happen. Uh, we are brothers and sisters of other mothers, meaning we talk about influence on this show in the new economy. You talk about how to stand out to become a recognized expert in your field. And I love the book Stand Out. So wanted to say thanks again for coming on. And how can we stand out to reach our next opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I discovered from my own personal experience, I, I started my business as a marketing strategy consultant 10 years ago. And when I launched my business, it suddenly became uh, frighteningly clear that everyone in the world was a marketing consultant. And if I didn't differentiate myself somehow, I was not going to have any business. I was not going to really have a very successful career. And so it became pretty urgent to figure out how to crack that code. And so ever, ever since then, I became fascinated by the question of what exactly the most successful people in a given industry did that set themselves apart and, and really um, made them stand out, made them unique in the marketplace. And so I wrote my book, Stand Out, uh, as kind of an exploration of that. So I interviewed about 50 different thought leaders across a spectrum of different fields to try to unravel what it is that they were doing that other people weren't. And uh, it was pretty fascinating to, uh, to learn uh, what they did. But broadly speaking, uh, one of the lessons that I took from it that I think is most salient for professionals is that fundamentally, when it comes to getting recognized, it's a three-step process. The, the first involves one-to-one -one communication of sharing your ideas on a small scale. You're, uh, you're you know, talking to your friends. You're building up a, a network of trusted advisors, et cetera. Then once you've kind of incubated them, you, uh, you know what you want to say. You've, you've kind of got your, your message, as it were. Then you begin to communicate one-to-many. And that's the place where it's sort of like what you're doing right here, Ryan. You have, you know, you have a podcast. Uh, people blog, they start giving speeches, they start sharing their ideas more widely. And when they do that, it enables other people to find them. It enables like-minded people to say, oh, I resonate with that. Let's see more of what he has or what she has. And then the final step is what I call many-to-many -many communication. And that's where your idea really begins to take on legs of its own. It begins to, you know, go viral as, uh, as the, 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 the cool uh, terminology says. And uh, it's when people become excited enough about what you're saying that they buy into it on their own. They want to become ambassadors because it really speaks to them. And that's the process that I write about and, and sort of break down in the course of Stand Out. It's so true, Dory. So all of us want to stand out. We want to be recognized. Because in this new economy, we all want to influential. We want to work with others and collaborate. So if you our could, expertise, you know, really enlighten me and, and the community around 
being that what subject matter people uh, can do to connect so, with others uh, emotionally. Emotional intelligence is There's something I, I call really emotional intelligence. About. You really have to hit you connect with people on an emotional level to help motivate, move, what you're building. drive people so how do you feel about to how champion your ideas so you can work together. To people so to what emotionally ideas? can people yeah, that's, do that's exactly right. to help so, um, get their ideas across? For this, across. I'll actually refer back to some of the uh, the thinking of one of the thought leaders that I interviewed for Standout, Seth Godin. Oh, yeah. I interviewed Seth for my book as well. He is uh, brilliant. Exactly. He is he is fantastic. And uh, in his book, Tribes, he talks about the nature of a tribe as fundamentally people who are connected to each other, they're connected to a leader, and they're connected to an idea. And those those three pieces are all critical because if you're connected to an idea, but there's not really a community around it. That's that's great, but it's hard to take it further. But if you have a group of people that are together unified and, and bought into this overarching premise, then there's there's a kind of excitement. It becomes part of your identity. And that's really how an idea becomes sticky. Totally agree, Dory. That's why I love having you on. The message you create, the idea, the branding... The emotional connectivity is so important to people. Otherwise, ideas get lost because ultimately you have to connect with people, find their heart, find their gut, and reach them in ways where their message, the message feels like it resonates. Yeah, I, I, th I think that's exactly right. I mean, one of the things that early on in Standout that I try to knock down as a myth is that a lot of people just stop themselves from trying. They kind of take themselves out of contention because they say, well, you know, I, yeah, it's great to have a breakthrough idea and share it with the world, but I can't do that. You know, we, you know, we all know how people get ideas, which is obviously that the muse whispers in their ear and they get blessed from heaven and then they have this idea. Yes, it's that easy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I haven't had that, so clearly it's not me. And, you know, what I, what I tell people is, after interviewing these dozens and dozens of thought leaders, number one, it's usually not this one momentary flash of insight. These are things that people circled around sometimes for years before it really coalesced. It's not that you need an idea to start. It's that you need curiosity around a certain topic to start. And that enables you to start researching, to start digging, to start looking into it. And it's through that process that the idea arises. And I think that that's an important uh, thing that, that if people recognize that, that they didn't have to, to have the idea in their pocket uh, beforehand, that, that they realized it was an iterative process, I think more people would feel comfortable uh, moving in this direction. I love that, how your idea just rises up and it becomes risen in a way. That's a great way you know, to really articulate that your idea is just that comes out of what you believe in after you dig and find something deeper in the meaning of it all. And ultimately, you know, Seth Godin, who you interviewed for your book, actually, I reached out to him and sent him a blind email. And a year later, I followed up with him after he turned me down the first time. He came on the podcast, I think, you know, I was writing the book, The Influencer Economy. It was a big idea. But ultimately, he came on because I was persistent. And I believed in my idea. I kept pursuing my idea. And a year later, after he told me he was too busy, he came on my podcast. This guy's one of my heroes as a writer. And you've talked to him for your, your book. So ultimately, it's really about collaborating with those influential people, the micro-influencers, the specific influencers, as I like to call them. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, Ryan. Um, that's that's exactly right. I, I've, uh, I've 
done a lot of writing about networking uh, for the Harvard Business Review. And one of the uh, one of the, the pieces that I wrote is kind of advice for busy busy professionals about essentially how to how to lose the people that are constantly barraging you and trying to you know trying to, to suck your time. And one of the things that that I suggest in there, and which I think is is actually um, in many cases doing people a favor, is that you shouldn't necessarily say no. What you should say is not not yet. Can you get back to me? And it becomes a test. Totally. It becomes a, a, a test of people's perseverance and their mettle. And the fact that a year later you followed up, that you hadn't forgotten about Seth Godin, he wasn't like this shiny object like, oh, I'll ask him. And then he says no and, and you go away. You, you close the loop. That was obviously impressive enough to him that he made the time to do it. And I think that people don't understand that no, you know, I mean, I, I, it's, it's glib to say, oh, a no isn't a no. I mean, you know, it's, it's not like. Yeah, absolutely. He didn't say no. Getting a no is bad. Getting ignored is okay. Getting a yes is closing the deal. And Seth waited and he finally got, I got a yes from him and it was amazing. And I'm sure you talked to him, you know, he's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And, and, and people conflate them sometimes, but it's, it's through that act of proving yourself that uh, people really do begin to take note, even if you're starting from a place where nobody knows who you are or you don't really have a you know a, a brand in the marketplace, so to speak. Totally agree, and it's a great way to frame it is giving people a test because you want to feel like you're getting value and helping others and surrounding yourself with givers, people who give to you, you give back. There's a reciprocity, and it's a win-win. Uh, Scott Belsky, who I've had on my podcast, he talks a lot about how there's no idea meritocracy, meaning you need the right people to execute on your idea, and the best ideas never win. And moreover, when you have your idea and your brand, you need to be mission-focused and platform-agnostic, meaning you tell the same story, you have the same product, the same vision, and it can be on any medium, any platform, but your mission always has to be the same. It's it's a it's a disease in a lot of ways. I mean, it's you know you cited Scott Belsky, who also was somebody that I uh, interviewed in in Standout. You know, great minds think alike, and he he created his own you know his whole business, Behance, which he then sold to Adobe for a hundred million dollars. And the the premise, the starting premise of his business was okay. There's lots of great ideas, lots of creative people out there. They can't execute. They can't get things done. And what if we were able to create a business predicated on helping those people actualize their ideas. And, and that was a powerful enough uh, idea and, and a powerful enough and necessary enough concept that he's able to get a $100 million business out of it. That is right on the money. And even better that we both interviewed Scott Belsky and Seth Godin for our books, Great Minds Do Think Alike. And ultimately, you know, my question for you next is, why do you do this? What motivates you to help people share their ideas? Why is it important? for all of us to stand out with all of uh, the work that we do and the knowledge that we want to share with others. And what's it like sharing all this information with so many people? Well, it's it's immensely satisfying in the sense that one of the, the reasons that I want to do it, one of the reasons that, that this topic appealed to me in the first place, was the fact that 
you know, we, we all know, we all have seen that with the proliferation of uh, information, of social channels, things like that, the ease of sending emails to a zillion people. I mean, you know, our inboxes are flooded, our brains are overloaded. And w with all that noise, it becomes harder and harder for an individual to, to break through and get noticed. And, you know, I mean, there's pluses, of course, to, to all of this, which, you know, I mean, any anyone can start a podcast, anyone can start a blog. That's fantastic. But it doesn't mean that people are going to listen to right. it. And so the, the, the challenge here is that you have a lot of talented people in the world who just they're not getting their ideas heard, not because their ideas are not worthy, but because they just don't know how to crack that code. And so for me, helping them learn how to crack the code and get noticed is key to sharing better ideas with the world, which I, I think I think we all need. I think we what all. Th yeah, sorry to interrupt. I mean, I this conversation has got me thinking so much about my own career because uh, I wanted to just share something that I was laid off from Disney many, many years ago for uh, asking for a raise. Hard to believe asking for a raise really was the catalyst to get me laid off. And I read Seth Godin's book, The Dip, which is all about two principles. One is when you're in a tough situation with business, you either quit what you're doing because you want to find something else you can be best in the world at, or you stick with it. And that's The Dip. So I realized I wanted to get through that crisis you know, of, of do I love this job at Disney? It's a corporate gig. I was making okay money. So I demanded a raise and a year – or I demanded a year-end review, actually, because they didn't give me one of those. And then I actually uh, asked for a raise because I was generating millions of dollars for the company. And ultimately, uh, three months later, I got laid off, which was a great career move because then I got a new job with uh, the severance from Disney and a raise at the new job. So I'm just hearing all this inspired for people listening who understand that you can apply these principles not just as an entrepreneur – but as someone professionally in the workplace, how can people apply this, in other words, to their jobs, not just with uh, entrepreneurial work? Yeah, this is this is really critical. And this is a lot of what I talk about, actually, in my in my first book, uh, Reinventing You, because one of the, the challenges that a lot of professionals face is they get kind of pigeonholed early on in their career. And then the people around them just don't update their perceptions of them. And so they're still thinking of you as like, oh, that cute little intern. And meanwhile, you've been at the company for seven years and and you have gained all of these skill sets and, and people are, are somehow not grasping it. Um, so I think that in a lot of ways that the, the principles of standing out are very similar, um, you, you may just use different channels. So for instance, um, I mean, you know, depending on the company, you could do certain things, but whereas, uh, let's say an entrepreneur may want to build a larger public profile by things like blogging or starting a podcast or something like that, if you're working internally, maybe the things that would be useful are, um, taking on a leadership role in a professional association so that you have that kind of, um, credibility that would be understood and respected by your, your peers in the company. Maybe it's starting to get active on, uh, per perhaps an internal social network that your company uses, like Yammer. I mean, as one example, I actually have a, a friend that uh, that used to work for Burberry back when uh, Angela Arantz, who's now at, at Apple, was leading it. And, you know, there's I feel like in so many ways, it's like an untapped opportunity. It's crazy. So companies are always like, you know, agitating for their employees, like share your ideas, right. share your best practices, use the internal social network. And people never do. And so my friend actually 
there was a, a message that came out about some initiative in the company. My friend made a really thoughtful uh, comment and post about it on the internal social network. And Angela Arendt personally responded to her. So, um, so it it was you know it's it's incredible that that for for someone you know I mean there was fifty bajillion layers separating her from the CEO, but corporations really value participation, and and if you do that, you can distinguish yourself. I mean, even something literally like just taking on a leadership role of you know what I'll head up. I'll head up the diversity committee. I'll head up the, you know, the recycling committee, whatever it is, can make a, a big difference in terms of how people see you. That's a great point. It's like people won't take you seriously. And sometimes in a professional environment, if you're struggling, joining an outside group, and I love that point. Let's really think about that for a minute, how you can join a club or an association or somewhere to validate yourself as a professional, bring that back to your workplace or do something internally at the company organizing a lunch for the team or you know building a relationship with someone in another division this reminds me of stand-up comedy back in the day when i was a performer in washington dc and these comics would you know be killing it they'd be doing 20 minute sets and they would be so funny but the improv would never book them as a headliner because it was the home club and you had to go on the road to other cities to headline elsewhere before the improv in your hometown would invite you to headline it's almost like you had to get that social proof and pay your dues and get better and get that respect. So then, you know, it's like leaving a job as, you know, starting as an intern and then getting promoted at your own company. It's really a challenge sometimes because people don't want to help you and they want you to earn it. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, this is this is an uh, an unfortunate but perennial aspect of. Uh, of human behavior. I mean, you know, even the Bible says, you know, you're never a prophet in your homeland. And, uh, you know, you're just, you know, little, little Johnny who grew up down the street. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, you know, I think similarly in the corporate world, that is how a lot of people view you. And so ironically, um, one of the ways that you can uh, really make, get a lot of traction inside your organization is actually an outside-in strategy. Because if you start getting noticed and respected by people outside, you know, because you're joining the, you know, you're taking a leadership role. That's the key part. It's not being a member. It's being a leader in a professional association. If you start, uh, you know, writing for that, uh, for, you know, for that association's journal, if you start um, putting in submissions and getting accepted to speak at conferences, all of those things, people inside start to say, hey, wait a minute, you know, why, why is she doing that? I didn't know she could do that. And it, it begins to change how you're uh, thought about. And I mean, at a, at a big level, of course, a macro level, once the heads, headhunters start to notice you and come at you with job offers and you're able to go to your boss and say, oh, so, you know, I'd love to stay here, but I just got an offer for $25,000 more. Uh, that that kind of puts you in the catbird seat. Yeah, 100%. I'm on board with you on that. And it's almost as if, you know, you have to will yourself to do something. And it's, I believe it would you know, with my podcast and my book, it's like, once you make a podcast, you're a podcaster. Once you publish your book, you're an author. Once you become an instructor with an online course, you're a teacher. Once you, you know, do anything, become a public speaker, you're now a public speaker. It's like willing it, becoming it, doing it, all these habits make you become what you want to be. It's, it's without getting too philosophical, it's like some sort of manifest destiny believing in what you want to become. 
Yeah, I think I think that's right on. I mean, there, there's a concept um, that I that I talk about in Reinventing You that uh, that actually was popularized by Amy Cuddy, who's a Harvard Business School professor. She gave a you know very well known TED talk, and one of the phrases that she uses, which I think is is really good and sort and a really good addition to the lexicon, is that she says that that she would like to make it so that people don't think so much of, you know, this, this sort of standard trope of, oh, fake it till you make it. She says, instead, think of it as fake it until you become it. And I think that's actually a much more useful way of looking yes, at it. more real. That's right, because people, you know, there's a certain there's a certain group of people that, you know, they just rebel against the idea, like, I don't want to fake anything. I want, you know, I want to be myself. And, you know, why, why should I be doing that? And, you know, the point isn't the faking. It's not that you're pretending to be something that you're totally not. Um, the point is that you are trying to summon your best self. And you may not be fully there yet, but you are working towards being there. And you will be there. You're just trying to to strive. And I, th I think that there's there's something, there's a nobility in that striving. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when you strive to do something and you faking it till you make it is such a bad misnomer. I totally agree with that TED Talk speaker. And for listeners now doing this on their own, uh, there's a lot of people that are solopreneurs or doing side gigs, side hustles. What do you say to the folks that are doing this all alone that want to stretch their network? Yeah, well, one one of the things that that I think really is critical, and you know, this go, kind of goes back to the foundational principles that I talk about in Standout, is that you know, sort of one to one idea transmission. Really, what's essential there, a piece that that often gets overlooked, is the importance of having your own kind of kitchen cabinet. And it it could be a formal mastermind group, but it it doesn't have to be. I mean, really, what I advise people to do is to literally make a list, you know, of the five to 10 people in your life that you respect their judgment and their business acumen the most. And then just start strategizing about how you can spend more time with those people. Um, and, you know, I think m people get a little thrown off by the idea of mentorship, like, oh, they're looking for this magical, right. perfect mentor. But what I suggest instead is to think of it more like a mentor board of directors where you can learn from a whole a variety of skills from a variety of people. Yeah, agreed. Mentorship doesn't really exist anymore. You have to get it piecemeal and really cluster together a bunch of different mentors, get them while you can as much as possible while they're in your life. Yeah, a la carte. That's classic. Yeah, the a la carte networking. Uh, it's like a Chinese menu item. You, you pick who you can get whenever you can get it as a, as a mentor. And let's talk about uh, a philosophy of, of psychology I love to talk about here. Weak ties, strong ties, how we build our network around acquaintances and not just people that we're best friends with or the people that we sit next to at work or even our family and friends. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, where where the the concept uh, was was popularized, um, you know, in Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point, but it comes from research by the sociologist Mark Granovetter, who discovered that you know, there was a bunch of people and, and they asked them, well, so how did you get your job? And they said, well, from, from a friend. And then they said, well, oh, well, how often do you see your friend? And they'd say like, oh, every four or five months. And they're like, really, that's your friend? And what they discovered is that actually people didn't really mean their friends. They meant they're kind of, they're kind of, acquaintances, they're, they're weak ties. And the reason that that was so valuable 
was that these people, because they trafficked in different circles, had access to different knowledge and different information that was useful. And so I think I think that's spot on. I mean, as we think about how to build our own professional networks, of course, you have people that are, you know, that are close in, that are tight, that you're talking to all the time. Uh, but it's also useful to simultaneously be mindful of these weak ties and just, you know, having having the diversity in your network so that if somebody says, you know, hey, do you do you happen to know an architect? You can be like, yes, I do. And, you know, you might not have anything to do with architecture, but you know who to go to. And everyone needs go-to acquaintances, not just the powerful, meaningful best friends, people that can help them that are really just networking buddies. So do you have any advice for reaching these networking buddies and people that you build through the weak ties and that are more acquaintances than good friends? Well, you know, one strategy that you can use to actually begin to activate this, this is this is sort of an additional wrinkle uh, that has been talked about and popularized by uh, by Adam Grant of Give and Take fame, is that he's written about uh, a kind of another category known as dormant ties, uh, which I think is really uh, spot on. And so the dormant ties basically are people that you used to know, people you used to be close to, but you just haven't kind of engaged with them or interacted with them in a long time. And for, you know, this isn't necessarily going to be helpful if you're 22 years old, but if you've been in the workforce 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I guarantee there's people that maybe you went to college with, grad school with, that you worked with them at your first job, and maybe your Facebook friends or you're connected on LinkedIn, but you probably haven't really engaged with them in a long time. The advantage of starting with those people is that after a period of time, let's say 10 or 20 years, you have probably veered off into some really different, interesting places, but you have this shared history, which breeds trust. And so they're generally, I mean, unless it ended badly for some reason, they're generally going to be thrilled to hear from you. Oh, you know, it's my old pal. Uh, But they're now in a completely different universe, and that can be a starting point for you as an entree into that universe. Yeah, Adam Grant's another person I interviewed for the book. His, His book, Give and Take, comes up a lot on the podcast. So let's talk about the, and I, I agree with everything you just said about really the networking and building relationships, because ultimately, what's what's the real advice we can give people when they want to focus on not only relationships, but how to cultivate something more meaningful? Because so many buzzwords come out like authentic and personal branding and all these terms that are BS, but you have to think about really What is your true voice? What is your message? How can you impact and transform people's ideas based on how you present yourself? Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right that that these days, especially a lot of people overthink the question of their brands and how how they should be presenting themselves. I mean, there's kind of, you know, these polar extremes. There's people who reject uh, reject the premise entirely and say, you know, why do I have to have a brand that's stupid? Why, you know, I'm not a detergent. And they, they just don't want to think about it at all. And then at the other extreme, you know, neither of which I think is healthy, they're the people that are, you know, spending 10 hours, um, you know, changing the filters on their Instagram pictures of their breakfast. And it, it's uh, either either way is is kind of damaging. I think that you know, as I, um, a point that I make in reinventing you is, of course, we all have a brand now. People think something about us. And so I think it is a little bit head in the sand to, uh, to say, oh, you know, I'm just not going to think about it at all. I mean, fundamentally, it's your reputation. So you do need to think about it. But that thinking shouldn't lead 
to paralysis. I think that the clo- the closer that we can make our our private persona to our public persona, so that you know there's there's not a distinction. I, th- I think the better. I mean, I've met people and you know had had dinner with them. You know, they're they're students in my executive ed classes that I teach at Duke, for instance, and you know they'll they'll say to me. Wow, you know, you're you're just like I imagined you would be from watching your videos, and I consider that to be the highest right. form of compliment because totally. I want there to be no distinction. And your so website's really a wealth of information for helping people embracing your actions and lessons to really yeah, build their exactly. brand, think about their positioning Fantastic, in the market. Dory, thank you for Dory, coming on the show. Ryan, so thank you, Dory. You are a thank you. sister and where from can another find you mother. Online. I'm your brother from yeah, a past so if, life. Yeah, so if folks want to want to connect uh, or learn more, the, future, uh, the best place know. to go is my website, which is doryclark.com. D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com. I have more than 400 free articles there, and I also have a free workbook if anyone is interested in these questions of how to stand out. Uh, it's a free 42-page standout self-assessment workbook, and you you can download it for free at doryclark.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Dory, so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you, Dory. That was a wonderful conversation we have. Thank you, all the listeners from the bottom of my heart. I really, with gratitude, sincerely thank you for checking out everything. I wanted to give everyone a free opportunity to get a workbook around how to launch your business to collaborate with influencers and thrive in the digital age. It's Ryan Williams here, your old pal, the host of the podcast. Go to InfluencerEconomy.com. I'll give you the free workbook. And thanks so much. If you're listening on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button. And one last piece of information, I am translating the book into Korean. So excited about that. So you'll buy my book in South Korea and all over the world where people speak Korean. Say away. Uh, hope you all have a great evening, day, or night. And hit me up. Would love to collaborate with every one of you listening to the podcast each week. I look as an ongoing collaboration. So thank you for the support. Love you guys.